This is Diana Cordy with Book Talk. My guest is financial journalist and writer Roger Lowenstein, author of seven books. His newest title is Ways and Means, Lincoln and His Cabinet and the Financing of the Civil War. Roger is Zooming with me today from his home in Massachusetts. Roger, welcome to Book Talk. Diane, it's a pleasure to be on the show. How long had Lincoln been in office when the Civil War started? Wow, Lincoln was inaugurated on March 4th, 1861. Uh, South Carolina and six other of the cotton states had already seceded. And another five weeks, uh, second week of April, the South fired on Fort Sumter, the last significant federal fort in the Confederacy, and the Civil War was on. How did the two sides finance all their war expenses? Well, they did it by hook or crook and experimenting because neither side, A, uh, expected it to be very long. They all thought they'd wave a few flags and come marching home. In fact, uh, the Secretary of War in the Confederacy said, if any blood is shed, I'll wipe it away with my handkerchief. That's how confident he was. In the Union, they were woefully under-equipped financially, not men. They had plenty of men. But in the beginning, they borrowed $50 million in gold coins from the, the northern banks, which was a lot of coin for them. And the lead banker said at the end of that, well, that should quite do it, that $50 million to finance the rest of the war. Well, they ended up spending it 60 times over. So they really had to innovate. And the North did innovate. They, of course, they created the greenback, the first paper money that was, that was legally declared money, legal tender. Perhaps even more important, they created the tax system, the internal tax system, including income taxes that we all love so much to pay on April 15th. You can thank uh, Lincoln and his Secretary of the Treasury, Salmon Chase, and others for that. And finally, they created a banking system, a national banking system that distributed the same currency universally, whereas before... Each state chartered banks, and they, they each distributed notes. Some were good. Some weren't so good. It was just a complete hodgepodge. That was the North. And, and because of these things they did, they had the financial strength to go out and borrow in bonds and, and get them secure long-term financing. And believe it or not, although they spent more money in the Civil War than they'd spent since the beginning of the Republic combined, the Union, the North, emerged from the war in better financial shape and they'd started it. In the South, it was a, a very different story. They were unwilling to tax. The notes that they issued were just inflated horribly. The, the total inflation, you're going to have to get your calculator out to even understand it. It was 9,000 to one. You know, maybe a better way to describe it is that, is that a barrel of flour, uh, or obviously a staple, uh, necessary, went from $5.50 before the war to about $1,000, you know, by the end of the war. And they, they never did get a permanent system of financing to back up their soldiers in the field. They fought very bravely. They really fought. My contention is they didn't lose the war in the battlefield. They lost it. And various Southern leaders, one of them said, we were whipped in the Treasury Department, not in the battlefield. In the South, what was their money based on? Well, what was their wealth? Well, their wealth was based on land and on slaves and on cotton. And obviously those three things were very much interlinked. And they had, for many years before the Civil War, people advised them that they should industrialize and not be so dependent on the North. And by and large, the planters who controlled the economy of the South didn't want it. You know, some of them said, we, we want to be sedentary and in the past. 
They didn't even want better schools for the public schools. They, ref- they didn't want canals and railroads that would improve their transportation system and make them more viable. They really believed that they had this unbreakable cotton monopoly. Right before the war, one of the senators, James Hammond, went into the Senate and said, the U.S. Senate, and said, cotton is king. No one's going to dare lay a hand on us. And they believed this. Someone, I think, just to explain it to listeners today, you know, someone I think like the Vladimir Putin has figured that because he had an energy hold on the on Western Europe, you know, they wouldn't dare oppose him in the, in the Ukraine. And certainly, it's 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 turned out to be tougher. We don't know how that one's going to end. The South was also had a, a commodity cartel in cotton, and it made them overconfident. Did the North impose sanctions on the South during the war? Sanctions are certainly a um, a hot button uh, term. Immediately uh, within the first month or two of the war, Lincoln declared an embargo uh, on the South to keep them from shipping cotton, uh, which they ultimately did try to do, and uh, uh, rice and sugar, and uh, that was really it. And, and of course, f- keep them from bringing in goods from Europe, ammunition, and so on. Uh, there were two problems with with these sanctions. You put them. He, it was an embargo, uh, technically, uh, but I know where you're going. Uh, one was that there was 3,500 miles of coastline in the Confederacy, and the Union Navy wasn't close to being able to patrolling it. That's why the South made a big mistake in not shipping cotton when it could have, because later in the war, the Navy did a pretty good job. The other problem, and this is explained to Lincoln, was nations don't embargo uh, their own cities. They embargo other countries. And by declaring an embargo, Lincoln was de facto recognizing the South as an independent nation, which gave European nations certain rights to trade with them. If he had just said the ports were closed instead of embargoed, then England and France would have been smuggling had they traded with the U.S., and that's an act of war. So Lincoln didn't quite understand the distinction and goof, but once he did it, it was too late to rescind. So uh, those uh, 19th century version of sanctions, the embargo, yes, he did declare it. You mentioned this a little bit already. But what does Mr. Putin have in common with the Confederacy when it comes to paying for the war? Well, I I think um, two things. One is the idea that um, they each had a a cartel, an agalopoly. Putin supplies 55% of the gas, 45% of the oil to Germany, which is the biggest economy in Europe. In the 19th century, the, the energy of the 19th century, the fossil fuel of the 19th century was cotton. Textiles was the industry that got the Industrial Revolution going. You go all throughout the, the mill towns up where I live in Massachusetts, those red brick buildings by rivers, those were, those were textile mills using cotton. Same thing in England, same thing in, uh, in France. So, and, and the South supplied three quarters of the world's cotton. So they thought they were in the catbird seat, to use an old Southern expression. The, the other thing I think they shared is a, a sense of isolation, which, which uh, fostered a certain delusion about their power. We've read how Putin is uh, isolated, even among his own advisors. He, he, you know, he, he's now the circle. There's fewer and fewer. He won't hear a, uh, you know, a bad word from any of them. And I, and, and I think it's, it's probably skewed his sense of uh, reality. It was very much true in the South that they had this, um, this view that they were immune because of their cotton. So they, they got themselves where they were fighting a war against the far more industrial 
and uh, and larger entity able to trade with the world where they were they were virtually cut off and i i think it was a delusion uh largely born of their own making they had this theory that uh, slavery was a better system because it was a what they called a harmonious labor system uh, whereby um whereas in the north was was subject to the conflicts that labor and management has and so on of course once the once the war got going, the slaves began to self-emancipate. And you know, I go through diaries where uh, plantation owners say they're shocked. They, one of them says, I guess there was, a, after a whole bunch of his slaves took off, there was a mutinous aspect I hadn't suspected. Well, you bet there was a mutinous aspect. Nobody wanted to be a slave. And they were just, um, they were blind to reality. And, and, and I think this sort of blindness, blindness uh, festers in a sort of a, an intellectual and economic cocoon. Uh, such as the uh, the South of the 19th century. What did you mean? Well, I meant, you know, the South was very resistant to federal rule of any sort. You know, they didn't want, this is way before the war, they didn't want the federal government building canals or roads or, or, or this College Act. All these things happened and they vetoed them, voted against them. New England was the most progressive uh, area of the country. They were filled with abolitionists. That was the great moral issue of the day. The um, the border states, so-called Kentucky, you know, the Joe Manchin states, they were sort of uh, right uh, in the middle. If you look at uh, how they felt about a uh, subject I tack a lot in the book about greenbacks, the people in the East were horrified because they had their banks were solid. So they didn't want a lot of inflation. They didn't want new money. The people out West they didn't have good banks. They wanted currency circulating. They'd be happy with a little more inflation, drive up farm prices. That was fine with them. So what I meant, American political geographies are hard to budge. It does seem as though we're sort of, we fight different battles, but the battle lines don't seem to shift much or, or at all. You're saying they're the same today. Yeah, yeah. It's remarkable. Thank you. My guest is Roger Lowenstein author of Ways and Means, published by Penguin Press. This is Diana Cordy with Book Talk. Diana, it was a pleasure to be on the show.